Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, amen. It's good to have Mrs. It's good to have everybody here tonight. But it's good to have Mrs. Snively with us tonight. And you know, she's uh, been struggling, and we're so glad that she's here. And she wanted to preach. And I said, there is no way I'll ever give you a microphone. <laughs> we all know what might come out of her mouth. But what a blessing to have her here tonight. And and uh, Sonia, Tony, and Lori, it's just good to be in church together. You know, it's been a long time. So praise the Lord for that. and glad you're here. Well, I, I was really struggling. I had two or three messages going back and forth in my heart and mind and wondering. Just couldn't get a sense of any of them. And then the Lord just said, let Austin preach tonight. And so I'm going to have my son come and bring us the Word of God. He preached twice this morning already, so he might be tired, but uh, I know he's got a message ready from the Lord uh, that he preached at Golden Harvest this morning. So let's give him your attention as he opens up the Word of God. Good again. This is Mom. Great. I, um, it's good to be home. We learn a lot at Bible college, but what we do not learn is how to keep these things on your head. So if this starts to fall off, I'm going to switch to... Big red mic? Sorry, which microphone do you want me to switch to this fall? You don't get a choice. You don't get a choice? <laughs> All right, well, I'll just, I'll just pick one. And uh, it's good to be home. Uh, Mr. Vogel asked me if I was going to be here for six months this time, and I said probably not. I fly out again on Saturday, and I'm going back to start my senior year. And um, I'm excited about what God has. And um, it is true, I am a mama's boy, but mom said something like a couple days before I came home that almost made me not a mama's boy anymore because she said, hey, Austin, um, I'm just wondering if you want to sleep in your bedroom or if you want to sleep on a bed that's downstairs in the cold, dark basement. And um, I was like, are you seriously asking me that? Because my room is turned into storage and the ironing room and where she gets a lot of work done. And so what she was really saying was, Austin, please don't sleep in your bedroom so I can have the storage left. But... Um, so I almost wasn't a mama's boy, but she's pretty great, so I still am. So turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, and I, I was able to preach this message this morning, so I'm still pretty fresh, but I'm excited to be here, and I, I've missed everybody. I really missed uh, singing next to Mr. Wood. That is so much fun, just to sing next to someone with that kind of passion and heart for the Lord. It's, I missed singing next to him, so he's going to come back to school and sing with me. So, if he's willing. You ready? Let's do it. California, let's go. Jeremiah chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry into the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the, the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord in the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that, are gone, that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made my heart an abomination. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, God, and I thank you for your love and your mercy. I thank you for being here tonight and for 
filling this room with your spirit, God, and I pray that you'll fill me. God, I pray that the truth of your word will speak to all of our hearts, Lord, and, and, and form, form us into the image of your son, Lord, and thank you for your love and your mercy. Amen. I have a quick question to get started. Have you ever had someone in your life that you seem to have a really good relationship with, whether it was a, or a relationship you were in or a family member or, or a friend or something like that, someone that you knew had your back through everything, someone that you knew loved you, someone that you knew cared about you, someone that you knew you were very important to them and they were important to you, someone that beyond a shadow of a doubt had your back? And then maybe some time passed, and before you realized it, that person that you were so close to without any explanation as they walked past you, and you just tried to talk to them like everything was normal. Hey, how are you doing? Are we still on for lunch on Tuesday like we go every week? And they just keep on walking. Or you go to them and you say, and you, and you shoot them a text and you say, hey, how are you doing? And they, and they just don't respond. And this person that it seems like you've been so close to for so long with no explanation just seemingly seems to walk away from your life and want nothing to do with you and you are left sitting there going, what did I do wrong? And you try and scramble and try and figure it out because you care about this person and you love this person and you want to know what did I do wrong so that I can fix it so that we can be okay again and that we can have the relationship we once had. What did I do wrong? I think it's a really sad thing that in this passage, God asked that question to his people. In verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 2, it says, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and walked after vanity and are become vain? God is saying, What fault have you found within me? What imperfection did you find? What did I do wrong that has made you walk away from the closeness and the relationship that we once had just to follow after vain things. And then we see in verse 9 where God is saying, Wherefore I will yet plead with you, and with your children's children will I plead. God said, What iniquity have you found within me? What did I do wrong? And I am begging you. He was pleading with the children of Israel. And you can say, Well, what kind of person would make God feel that way? What kind of person could have walked away from him to the point where God has to ask the question out loud, what iniquity have you found within me? And to plead with us to change what we're doing and to stop chasing the things that don't profit. I think sometimes it's me and sometimes it's you. and Sometimes it's every single child of God on the planet has a tendency to walk away from the Lord and make him feel this way. We're going to look at the characteristics now of the children of Israel at this time and the things that they were doing. And just I just want everybody here, including myself, just to ask, is that me? Have I been doing that to God? We see, first of all, that they were a frivolous people. In verse 9, Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see and send unto Kedar and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit? They changed their glory. Now, what does that mean? To glory in something, to be excited about something, to make something very important to us in our life, to make something our glory, to make it the thing that we find joy in, to make it the thing that brings us happiness, to glory in it. 
The psalmist David said in Psalms chapter 62, verse 7, In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. There was a time in David's life where God was his glory, where salvation was his glory. Can we truly say at this point in our lives that being a child of God, being saved, belonging to the God the Father, and belonging to Jesus Christ is the thing we glory in. It started off so small where the children of Israel, it says in verse 11, they changed their glory. It's not necessarily wrong to glory in something. I watched people glory in things recently when the Olympics were going on. And I was interning at a church in Indianapolis, and we'd all be relaxing and sitting in the pastor's home at night with the other interns and the pastor's family, and the USA would win gold in something. And do you know what it's like to be the only Canadian in a room when the Americans find out that they won gold in something? It's not fun. But they were glorying in the fact that they won this medal. They were glorying in this prize that their country had just won. It's not necessarily wrong to glory in something, but when we glory in anything in life more than we glory in God himself, we made a mistake. And they chose to glory in the things which did not profit. They chased the things which didn't even matter. They were glorying in things in their life and following after sin and lusts and habits and just things that seemed so innocent when they didn't even realize they had made the choice to take God from being the most important thing in their life to just any other thing, and they changed their glory. Have we changed our glory? Have we made other things important to us that shouldn't be? They focused on what didn't matter, and their glory was in the wrong place. They were frivolous people. But they were also a forsaking people. It says in verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Verse 19, Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. My people have committed two evils. It started off simple. It started off by choosing to change their glory to frivolous things. And before you knew it, they were forsaking God. They were trying to fill their lives up with broken cisterns. Now, cisterns in the Bible were simply things, structures that were carved out into the ground so that when the fresh water would fall and catch, and they could use that water to, to drink or use it for other things or use that water to clean their clothes or to cook or whatever they use that fresh water for. But as the cistern was carved out into the ground, if that cistern broke, the water would flow out into the ground And all that would be left would be muddy, empty, nothingness. Good for nothing, not useful, nothing. And God is saying that my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me and they have chosen to try and fill up their lives into these broken cisterns which can hold absolutely nothing. Now if I stood up here and I had a bucket and I had a pitcher of water and the bucket had a bunch of holes in the bottom, and I just started pouring water into the bucket, pouring water in the bucket, and the water just obviously runs out onto the ground and soaks the platform, you would go, what is he doing? 
He's, what is he doing? He's never going to get that full. He's never going to, that bucket is never going to achieve its purpose because it's broken. And you would say, he is crazy. And you might already say that, but it would be confirmed when you saw me pouring the water into a broken bucket. And when you say that's crazy, and it's a crazy thing to picture, and yet we spend so much time in our lives trying to fill our lives up and hold everything that we have inside a broken cistern and leave God out of the equation just for those empty things to flow away and we're left with filthy, dirty nothingness that can be used for nothing. When we have a heavenly Father who is the fountain of living water, that knows how to fix broken cisterns. He's a repairer. He's a restorer. And he says, listen, you're broken and you're trying to hold everything and it's just flowing away because you've forsaken me. But if you would just allow me to take control of your life, I could fix that and you would actually be able to hold some living water. And then when you go and check and and you do reality check on yourself and you go to see if you're full and you realize that for a while now you've been allowing God to be in control of your life and he has healed you and restored you and you have grown close in your relationship with him and you'll realize, man, I have all this living water left over and I haven't allowed any of it to run away. But that only happens when we acknowledge God and we seek after God, it doesn't happen when we forsake him because when we forsake him, all we're trying to do is fill and carry everything in broken cisterns that can hold nothing. They were frivolous people. They were forsaking people. It said in verse 19, it is an evil thing and bitter. They were also, in verse 32, a forgetful people. The Bible says in verse 32 of Jeremiah 2, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. I think it's an amazing thing that God in just one chapter is saying, what did I do wrong? What iniquity have you found with me? I'm begging you to come back to me to the point where we see my people have forgotten about me days without number. They were forgetting people. And you say, no, 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 okay, listen, that's not me. I'm not a frivolous person. God is my glory. I'm happy for you. I'm not a forsaking person. I don't, I don't forsake God. I stand up for Christ. I share the gospel. That's awesome. Are we forgetting people sometime? It says in verse 23 of this chapter, How canst thou say I am not polluted? I have not gone after Balaam. The children of Israel, it was brought to their attention that they weren't living for the Lord like they should be. And they had been forgetting about God and forsaking him. And they said, I'm not polluted. There's nothing wrong with me. Everything is fine. And you may be. You may have absolutely nothing between you and God. And if that is the case, I am so excited for you. But for myself and for a lot of people in this room, I know that just like the children of Israel who were God's chosen people, if we are saved and we have accepted Christ as our Savior, so many times we have a tendency to not even realize how far we've drifted. And it is our responsibility to look into this book and say, God, what do I need to change? But if we look into this book and it's brought to our attention and we go, I am not polluted. I have not followed other gods. I have not followed anything but Christ. Just ask yourself, God, what is it? What am I holding back that I won't give to you? 
What is it that I need to give up so I can be closer to you? Just ask yourself. There are frivolous people or forsaking people or forgetting people. You know, the, the church I was just at, they took us up in a, a little plane. It was a two-seater plane, and a man in the church named Dr. Bob took us up. And this plane was flown in World War II. So it was pretty old, pretty rickety, no, no ceiling on it or anything. And the pilot, Dr. Bob, kept scaring us, and he kept saying things like, hey, pastor, could you give me the flight manual so I can figure out how to fly this thing? And just trying to scare us. And he was being serious when he said that he couldn't see. So he sat in the seat behind me, and I sat in the front seat, and there's all these controls, and I could see him checking the controls, and when he moved something in the back, it would move in the front, and I was like, cool, I can fly the plane if I want to, but I didn't try. But he said, if I start going side to side like this, he said, all I'm doing is I'm trying to be able to see because I can't see through your head. I can't see straight ahead on this plane. It's, he said, these new planes, he said, you can see in them, and so it takes away all the fun. So that did not really comfort me when I got up in this plane, and also there was duct tape on the wings and stuff like that, but we made it. So as we got up on this plane, it's so loud. We take off, and, and I'm flying around, and I, and I took a video to send to mom and dad and put on my social media or whatever, and I realized that it kind of looked like I was flying the plane. Because there was no pilot to be seen. No one was sitting in front of me. So Bethany goes, who let you fly a plane? And I had a couple other friends text me and say, you are not flying that plane. And, and I egged it on for a minute. And I said, yeah, they, I had a five-minute crash course. And I'm flying a plane from the 40s. It's pretty cool. It's pretty easy. But, um, but I wasn't flying the plane. But the whole time I was up there, it was so loud. And I was just going on my journey. And the pilot was behind me. Honestly, it would have been easy to forget that he was back there. And I thought to myself, what if we flew in this plane for a thousand years? We just went on the journey of life. And I start to ask myself, does he really know what he's doing back there? Does the pilot really know what he's doing? Does the pilot... Is he in control like I think he's in control? I have the controls right here in front of me. Maybe I should just grab onto them and see what this plane can do. Maybe I should just press this button. Maybe I should just pull this lever. Maybe I should just see what happens, you know, because it's been a while since I've seen the pilot do anything. It's been a while since I've heard the pilot. It's been a while since I remembered who he even was. And you say, that's absolutely crazy. That's insanity. You don't know how to fly a plane, Austin. You're right. And we don't know how to live our lives apart from God. Because he is the only one that knows how to pilot our lives. He is the only one that knows how to keep us safe. He is the only one that loves us more than we can imagine. He is the only one that knows exactly where to go. He is the only one that can fly the plane. And yet after some time in our lives, we go, you know what? I haven't seen God work in a while. What has God done for me? He didn't answer this prayer request that I wanted. He didn't take me where I wanted to go on this journey. You know what? Maybe the pilot's not even the back there. Maybe Maybe I can do a better job than the pilot. And we take the controls and what happens? Disaster. I'm only 21, but I have taken the controls of my life more times than I'd like to admit. And it has always resulted in something bad. When what I should be doing on a daily basis is saying, God, what is next? You're in control. I trust you. 
I maybe can't see you as clearly as I'd like to, but as we go on this journey, I know that you know what you're doing, and I'm going to leave it up to you because I don't want to be a forgetful person. I don't want to forget that the pilot's back there and that he's in control. They were frivolous people. They were forsaking people, and they were forgetting people. You say, okay, I get it. Maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Maybe I haven't been following the pattern for my life that God has wanted me to do. What am I supposed to do about it? The formula is found in this passage. We've already gone over it. In verse 19, it says, Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter, that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts, and that my fear is not in thee. At what point do we stop fearing God? Now, I didn't understand that for a while growing up. I remember reading in the Bible, fear God, fear God, fear God. And I thought I was being smart. And I said, you know, I'm not going to be afraid of God. God is so nice. God is good. There's no reason to be afraid of God like he's the boogeyman or something. But that's not what this means. Fearing God means to hold him in reverence, to hold him in awe, to realize the might and the glory and the power of who he is, and to realize that we belong to him if we are saved, and that he has the attributes of love and mercy and forgiveness and grace, but he also has an attribute of being holy, and he cannot allow his children to live however they want to live without chastening them because he loves us. What, what song did we sing tonight? Or I got saved. The love of God won't let me stay the same. And that love that he has for each and every one of us is what ch- has him chasten us when we're not where we're supposed to be. So we need to be a fearful people, a people that fear God. And if you think fearing God is not important, I'm going to read a couple verses from Proverbs. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that it sh- he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Now, for the past few times I have had the opportunity to preach here, it's always, uh, it's been a message of what God's working in my heart, and I love to preach about the love of God. Because I truly believe without the love of God, we'd have nothing else. You know, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. It was his love that motivated him to do that for us. But I can't disregard the fact that God is also a holy and just God who chastens his children. And the fear of the Lord is very important. It says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the only way we have knowledge. The fear of the Lord means to hate evil, pride, arrogancy. And fear of the Lord has the potential to make our lives longer and to prolong our days. The fear of the Lord gives us confidence. It allows our iniquity to be purged. It is the reason we're able to depart from evil. It gives us life. It allows us to abide satisfied the fear of the Lord is the reason that we can be safe because holding an awe and reverence of God and not treating him like he's some being that owes us anything but realizing that we have nothing to offer him but he wants to use us and allows us to serve him anyway and holding that fear and reverence and awe of God 
because he's worthy of it. And because he's worthy of it, what are we going to do with it? We need to become a fearful people, people that realize that God cannot tolerate sin and a people that revere God. But we also need to become a forgiven people. Now, if you're saved, you're a child of God, you are forgiven. Your sins are as gone as far as the east is from the west. And I'm not here to convince you that if you have sinned or you have done wrong, that you are not a forgiven person. You are sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. But we have that opportunity to walk away, don't we? We have that opportunity in our everyday lives to do things that need to be forgiven, to keep that short account with God, to keep that relationship with God as it should be. I'm going to read in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 11. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north, and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Isn't it great to know that God always stays the same? And we see in this passage that What God was asking of the children of Israel at this point was only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. He didn't say, Israel, I need you to be perfect. Israel, I need you to have every spiritual gift and perform and every ceremony and everything that comes across in the tabernacle. I need you to do everything right. He said, only acknowledge thine iniquity. Ask for forgiveness. Admit you've done wrong. Stop saying I am not polluted. Stop saying I have not gone after Balaam. Just acknowledge it. Come to me with it and find forgiveness. In verse 12, it said, I am merciful, saith the Lord. I will not keep my anger forever. You know, I think I've heard it before, but I think one of the first times I heard it, I heard Mom or dad say that God is not just an angry being in heaven that sits around waiting for his children to mess up. He's someone that sits there and and loves us and governs us and, and tries to guide us. But only if we let him. We need to become a forgiven people. What has come between us and God? And that verse in verse 13, only acknowledge thine iniquity, reminds me a lot of the verse in 1 John 1 that says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. Even the things you think you can't be forgiven for, even the things that you think are too far gone, even the person on your mind that you think has done so many things wrong against you and God, they can't be forgiven, that grace belongs to them too. My favorite line in in any song, I think, is uh, in Man of Sorrows, where we get to that bridge and it says... Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. Once you're free, you're free. But what are you going to do with that freedom? Forsake God? Forget about him? Chase frivolous things? 
The curse of sin has no hold on me, but sometimes we hand it back the power by following it and chasing it. It's a heartbreaking thing to think that God would be in heaven screaming at his children who he's redeemed and say, what did I do wrong? What iniquity did you find within me that you're going to follow everything that doesn't matter? I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with your children's children. And when you come to me, I'm not going to leave you empty-handing. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. You don't know where to go next. It's found here. It's found in that spiritual person that loves the Lord and wants to come alongside you and help you and has a heart after God and wants to be there for you and see you succeed in the Lord. We need to become a forgiven people. Just through traveling and getting to go places and, and, and go to a different church this morning, one thing that is... Um, see, have been a burden on Dad's heart and, and on my heart and I'm sure many people in here is... We need help in Canada. We need preachers in Canada. We need good teachers in Canada. We need more churches in Canada. We need the gospel to be shared in Canada. And we sit around and we go, oh, this is, this is such a bad situation. But when did we ask ourselves if we're doing our part not to be frivolous and forsaking and forgetful of God and going and sharing the gospel and loving people the way he intended in the first place? We can complain that everyone else isn't doing their part or we can decide that we're going to do ours and do what God has called us to, which is not a life of perfection, but a life of forgiveness and a life of humbleness before God saying, God, I understand that I am not enough and that is okay because you are and he's worthy of it. I don't want to be frivolous. I don't want to be forsaking and I don't want to be forgetful of God. It's happened before, and I don't want it to continue. I know I'm imperfect, but I know that I have a lot better chance if I decide I'm going to start fearing God and become a fearful person and decide that I want to be forgiven and I want to have a short account with God and I never want to leave the safety and love and the, the protection that is found within God the Father. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your heart's at. But let's not look at God's word and say that applies to everybody but me. I'm not polluted. I have not gone after Balaam. We'll give an account of it one day. Let's remember, there's forgiveness in God. He's merciful and he will not stay angry forever. But serving him, giving our lives to him, it's reasonable. It is our reasonable service. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everyone here. Lord, I thank you for allowing me to be home. God, I pray that this passage will pierce all of our hearts, Lord, and, and will not just be hearers of it, but doers. And thank you for your love and your mercy and the forgiveness that's found. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. And God has spoke to your heart. The altar is open. Let's do business with the Lord.
Don't forget that Jeremiah was speaking to the people of God. It's the people of God that often fall away, struggle with their walk. Good reminder tonight. 